in the last year, but mostly last week. On the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. He's past the age apex. He'll be 29 soon, Dave. And then once he's 29, he's going to be 30 soon. And once he's 30, he's going to be out of the league. And. I almost want to give myself a correct sound effect for that. And. According to Reddit, I am public enemy number one. Well, I have a message for all you Redditites. You don't matter. Did you ever consider going on steroids and auditioning for WWE? Print off your whining diatribe, roll it up, and shove it up your ass. And beat the eggs, but not too vigorously. Just a light beating. And they will be, oh, oh, so fluffy. And if you did any prep whatsoever, looked at the rankings once, checked the show sheet once, listened to the clip of Marshawn Lynch talking to John Wertheim once, you would know all these things! And get out of here with Dante Moncrief. You can load Dante Moncrief onto a rocket ship with Devontae Parker and Josh Doxson and send them to outer space. Just get them away from my dynasty teams. Oh my gosh. I don't know if I actually have much to add to that. And this is why you're the podfather. And the difference is Mike Gusecki probably won't be tackled by the penis anytime soon. And Todd Haley and his wife don't believe in wearing clothes at all. And it's the best way to go out on a sweatpant boner. And is this the time when you think people start masturbating to the show? Welcome to the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. I'm your host, Mike Leone, at Two Hats, One Mike on Twitter. And I'm joined today by Matt Kelly on Twitter. He is at Fantasy underscore Mansion. Uh, Matt, how are you doing? Oh, I am alive and well. That's the report from the mansion. Alive and well. The end of August is a grind. And you're a DFS grinder, so you get the grind. But for anyone that's in the fantasy industry, late August, it's tough. It's tough, but we grind through it. We get these shows pumped out. When you have guests like Mike Leone on to talk about the Bills, talk about the Patriots, talk about ADP arbitrage, a lot to get to today on the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. Yeah, let's do it. I'm I'm excited, as you said, a DFS guy. So I'm grinding the baselines with Drew Dinkmeyer over at DailyRoto.com. We're getting ready. Um, it's going to be a fun season, but yeah, end of August, man, it's tough. You, you were mentioning, you know, you got to get the rankings updated. You got to get the shows put out. You got to find time to do your own drafts. It's a lot going on. Oh, my drafts. I, I actually have drafts. Oh, that's right. I forgot. I have my own drafts to handle. Oh, while we're updating the cheat sheet and publishing the articles and dropping these podcasts. Yes. Somewhere in there, we find time to draft and in dynasty, especially Superflex and two QB formats, I am stashing a quarterback. He is my highest owned quarterback in all of Dynasty, believe it or not. His name is Nathan Peterman. Are you ready for the Nathan Peterman experience in Buffalo? I don't know if Buffalo can handle it. I will say I'm, I'm a bit of a Dynasty virgin. I did my first two Dynasty drafts this past offseason. And one, the first one I did, a league started by J.J. Zacharyson at late round QB, in a league with him and things are coming together pretty well. One of the moves was picking up Peterman off free agency 
in a super flex dynasty league. Oh, yeah, he was available everywhere. He was dismissed. He had one bad game with five interceptions, random events and outcomes on the football field, bad bounces, five interceptions, and then exit stage left, Nathan Peterman. We never want to see you again. You can't play in the league. Small sample size trap by everyone in 2QB and super flex leagues, and we're here to pick up the pieces. The damaged brand of Nathan Peterman has a home on the Podfathers dynasty teams. It's like, hey, Nathan Peterman, you know, we're we're in the playoff mix right now. We've got a capable quarterback, but we're going to go West Coast, throw you in against this Chargers defense with an awesome secondary, a great pass rush, you know, good luck. And then, uh, you know, there was part of me that was like guiltily like, you know, and regrettably at this point, like. Not too upset by the performance because I was so livid that they did Tyrod Taylor dirty like that by benching him. But yeah, it was a tough go for him. The first pick six was literally a dump off pass off the running back's hands that he That's right. shot into the air. But uh, I mean, to get a guy in a super flex league when you're talking a dynasty where you've got large rosters, who's a starting quarterback, whether or not you think he's going to be a good fantasy play, absolutely belongs on your roster. As far as a Bills fan uh, standpoint, the fun part about Peterman, you know, he gets the ball out quickly. Uh, he makes some big plays because he's getting out quickly. He's an anticipatory thrower, but you get some big time negative plays, I think, too, as well, especially behind that trash offensive line That's right. and trash receivers. So I'm worried that, you know, we're saying, oh, they threw him into this bad spot last year out west versus the Chargers. Well, you know, any spot in this Bills offense as a quarterback is kind of a bad spot this year. Well, the Bills are going to Baltimore in week one, a secondary without Jimmy Smith. So this was already a bad secondary with Jimmy Smith. Without Jimmy Smith, who I think is suspended for something, it's either performance-enhancing drugs or recreational drugs or punching a teammate. I don't know the details on Jimmy Smith's latest suspension, but it's something. He's creating havoc somehow, somewhere. So he's gone. In steps Nathan Peterman to a prime spot to exceed expectations and establish himself as the Bills' starter. We know Josh Allen needs time to develop. The Bills know Josh Allen needs time to develop. Bills fans know that Josh Allen needs time to develop. So let Nathan Peterman play. He had a 9.3 yards per attempt at Pittsburgh. That was 87th percentile. Also, a college QBR above 80, and he's a smart player. So he was an efficient downfield thrower in college with a 33 wonderlick. That's the perfect quarterback to insert while your premium first rounder develops. It's kind of crazy they haven't named Peterman the starter yet, right? I mean, I know it's just preseason, but you're talking... I think he's around 11 yards per attempt in the preseason and Allen's around four. When Peterman steps on the field, it's clear, oh, this is a competent quarterback who understands how to deliver the football at the professional level. Yeah, while we are uh, on the Bills offense, LaShawn McCoy with the drama that went on in the offseason, you know, whether he was going to get suspended or not over something that happened with uh, an ex-girlfriend of his. People worried about that suspension. He's dropping in drafts. He was already dropping in drafts just because, you know, for him, a little bit of a down year last year and just the major concerns of this offense in general. Are you buying low on Shady McCoy? I am. He is shady. That much is clear. He is one of the shadiest players in the league, but you don't get docked points for morality in fantasy football. 
Value is value. And LaShawn McCoy is the best old running back rental in fantasy football right now. You say he didn't have a good year last year. He was a top 10 fantasy running back last year. So to me, LaShawn McCoy was successful last year. And one of the reasons he was so successful, 287 carries was number two in the NFL, 77 targets, number eight in the NFL. 45 red zone touches. So even with this Bills offense, right? 45 red zone touches. What if, what if, follow me on this. What if Nathan Peterman is significantly better than football analysts expected? Then what? Then LaShawn McCoy is going to accumulate his customary red zone touches and be an incredible value, particularly in Dynasty. He's still being drafted in the third and fourth round in seasonal leagues, so he's not a great value there. But in Dynasty, a guy that can be had for a second rounder and an upside rookie like Jordan Wilkins? Yeah, you want to go after LaShawn McCoy. So my my second Dynasty league I did was a best ball Dynasty draft, which I think is just a phenomenal format as someone that plays a ton of DFS and kind of wants an intense league, but not super high maintenance during the season. He dropped to the seventh round, which I felt like that was kind of a no brainer pick. I grabbed him there. Look at the players that are being picked in the seventh round. A lot of those players, especially in dynasty are young, unproven players that will end their careers without a fantasy relevant season on their resume. You know that LaShawn McCoy if healthy and active on game day, is a threat to be an RB1 on any given week. And for that reason, I think he's a better dynasty rental than Adrian Peterson, because Adrian Peterson now is being talked about as the ideal dynasty rental. And I think that's true. I think that preseason performances matter, especially when you look at the, in particular, you want to look at the snap share with the first team. And Adrian Peterson checked the two most important boxes. He hogged the snaps with the first team offense in the one preseason game where he played. And he also looked explosive. I mean, we don't do a lot of eye test work here on the Sonic Truth podcast, but in this one case, it did matter. It was important to watch Adrian Peterson and see if he looked sluggish or explosive. He looked explosive. And clearly the Washington coaches thought he was explosive because otherwise they wouldn't have given him all of those touches with the first team unit. This tells me he's another perfect buy low in dynasty to go out and win your league. We want to win leagues in dynasty, right? So that means you trade for LaShawn McCoy and you trade for Adrian Peterson. Yeah, that's definitely the one aspect as being new to dynasty that I struggle with is that balance between, you know, you want to build a roster that's going to be good for the long term, but at some point, you know, value is value. You know, you, you do have to win, actually win your league at some point, right? Yeah. You have to win your league. Every year you can try to win your league. Just carve out six roster spots. Say, this is my taxi squad. These are my developmental player slots. And then devote every other roster spot to winning. It's just that simple. You have to make some tough choices and cut some young players you don't want to cut. You think I wanted to cut Austin Carr? Austin Carr could be the starting slot receiver for the Saints at any point this season, be a target hog fantasy monster. That could happen as early as this year. I don't want to let Austin Carr go. I'm a Northwestern graduate. He went to Northwestern with a 45% plus dominator rating. Think I want to cut Austin Carr, but I also can't roster 10 developmental players. Because I want to win. And the beauty is, 
even when you make the playoffs in Dynasty and you have one of those late first round picks, players like Royce Freeman are always available. And that's who I ended up drafting in so many leagues this offseason in rookie drafts. Royce Freeman, Royce Freeman, Royce Freeman, Royce Freeman, Royce Freeman, Royce Freeman. And oh, by the way, Royce Freeman. Do you like Royce Freeman? I, I do like Royce Freeman. I don't think I, I like him as much as you do. Uh, I'm sensing the enthusiasm from you. But the, to your point, though, about, you know, you have your Debbie s- slots and then you can work with those, too, is like you, you can churn over those spots a little bit. You know, keep your eye on Austin Carr. You know, if he starts if the path towards him becoming that slot receiver starts to open up a little bit. That's a great point. You, you, can, you can make some moves there. Like, obviously, you need a certain amount of spots. There's some guys you want to hold on to forever, but you don't need 10 spots on guys that you're going to be able to turn over somewhat easily, um, you know, in the free agency pool. You know that you're going to be the first skier out of the gate going downhill bidding on that player if there's a shift in the wide receiver depth chart. You can let Austin Carr know with the confidence that should there be an upheaval in that wide receiver core, that you'll be the first to act and be willing to invest more to acquire Austin Carr at any point during the season than your competitors. You need to have that confidence, have that quiet confidence that you know who's good, who's on the waiver wire, and when opportunity opens up for one of those players you'll be the first to act. If you can just operate with that level of confidence above the fray, your active roster can be devoted to players that can help you win today. Now, in talking about Royce Freeman, what's the difference between Royce Freeman and Le'Veon Bell? Can someone explain this to me? Because all I'm seeing when I watch Royce Freeman is Le'Veon Bell. I think the concern is, you know, if you're making that comparison, the target share in college wasn't as high as Le'Veon Bell's was. Uh, there's talk of Devonte Booker playing third downs. You know, are you going to get that work in the passing game? Are you going to get that? I mean, Pittsburgh, what makes Le'Veon Bell run is this is the most concentrated offense you can possibly get as far as volume. It's a fantasy boon. Even the periphery players, it doesn't seem like it would make sense that a concentrated offense could have good periphery players, but it's concentrated there too. So I think that's, you know, the part that you're concerned about with not concerned because I think where he's going is phenomenal value. But if you're making that comparison, like can he make that leap in volume across, you know, all aspects, including the passing game. Le'Veon Bell's not explosive. And that's the main criticism of Royce Freeman. He's not explosive that he's a plotter. Well, Le'Veon Bell's a plotter, right? Le'Veon Bell just happens to have the best vision and patience in the league behind one of the league's best offensive lines. Well, the Broncos have upgraded their offensive line. And of all the running backs in this draft class, you could argue that other than Saquon Barkley, Royce Freeman has the best vision and patience and has the second best size adjusted lateral quickness. When you look at the agility score on playerprofiler.com for Royce Freeman, it's in the 80th percentile at 230 pounds. That's very rare. Think about the wide receivers that have an agility score under 1110. A sub 1110 agility score is good for any receiver. I mean, you have to be one of the smallest, quickest, most nimble slot receivers in the league to go under an 11-0 agility score, which is what Royce Freeman almost did at the NFL Scouting Combine. He is an incredibly impressive athlete, but his athleticism is never discussed. He was a college compiler. Yeah, yeah, well, guess what? So was Melvin Gordon. 
and they compile all those yards in college because they're good. That's how they compile them. I will say I I have um, there was a brief time in uh, my fantasy career where I underrated the compilers. I guess you could call them. Um, I became an efficiency whore to an extent, and I've I've turned the corner with Melvin Gordon. You've seen it with Devonta Freeman for Atlanta, a guy that I was. You know, and this is also a point that J.J. Zacharyson made on Twitter, too, was we talk a lot about in real football how running backs don't matter that much. And then in fantasy football, we get obsessed with, like, who's really good, who's not good. And so I was off Devonta Freeman, you know, I was like laughing at people who were taking Devonta Freeman instead of Tevin Coleman as their stash, you know, a few years ago from the Atlanta running back situation. But we, we don't necessarily know who's going to be good. And the compilers matter. They might matter way more than the efficiency guys in the end. Well, Devontae Freeman never actually established himself as a workhorse at Florida State. And then he was horribly inefficient in his first year with the Falcons. So it's understandable if you were not enthusiastic about Devontae Freeman. His second year in the league was like an efficiency epiphany. It was it was like he was touched by the hand of God. <laughs> And became an RB1 out of nowhere. Nothing on his profile. Nothing. Not college production. Not athleticism. Nothing indicated that Devontae Freeman was a savant running back capable of RB1 status in fantasy football. So he is the last running back that you should identify as a teachable moment from your past. No one should feel bad if they dismiss Devontae Freeman after he face-planted in his rookie season. Yeah, I suppose my my dismissiveness of Devonta Freeman probably lasted longer than it should have, I guess, would be the teachable moment there. Maybe not the initial dismissal, but um, after the fact, just continuing to doubt him in the role that he was in with Atlanta. Well, that's right. Once he's established himself as a revelation, you need to be on board immediately. If we parsed the history, I mean, that's the point where fantasy gamers had an opportunity to buy low by more quickly coming to terms with Devontae's newfound abilities than their league mates. That's when you can jump in, and that's what we talk about. Buy high, right? You're like, oh, I'd rather buy low. Yeah, I'd rather buy low, get value. Yeah, I don't want to buy as a player is ascending. I don't want to buy high. Well, when Devontae Freeman started playing well, you would have technically bought high, and then it just would have kept going higher and higher and higher. It accrued a lot more value, even though technically at the time it was a buy high situation. That's the lesson learned. So buy lows. Can we let's go to Corey Coleman? Go back to the Buffalo theme. In real life, he was a buy low. The Bills got him for a seventh round draft pick, which I was ecstatic about. We talked before the show how sometimes it's hard uh, as a more rational Bills fan for me to find like these kernels of positivity with what the team is doing. And that was one of them. You know, you take a really athletic receiver who was a great prospect. Uh, He was drafted by Sashi Brown. So just that alone makes you feel a little bit better about um, his prospect profile in general. And you get them for basically free on a roster that is lacking upside at the receiver position so much. So uh, they bought low in real life. Are you buying low on him in Dynasty? Not really. I love the move by the Buffalo Bills front office. I mean, this is a front office that needed a win. And they had so they've taken so many L's in the last year trading back and missing out on Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes trading up and drafting Josh Allen when they could have stayed pat 
and drafted the superior quarterback in Josh Rosen. So they drafted the wrong Josh. That was a mistake. Then they traded up for a middle linebacker, lost all the second round picks they had hoarded, and those second round picks ended up being Harold Landry and Josh Jackson, bona fide first rounders <laughs> at positions of need that help you stop the pass at the NFL level, which is crucial for any defense. So this team, so Bills fans needed an indicator that this front office was not one of the most clueless front offices in the league. And they got it with this Corey Coleman trade because the Corey Coleman trade shows me, oh, the Bills get it a little bit. Like they understand what upside looks like at the wide receiver position, but now it's onto the coaches. So we know the GM isn't the worst GM in the league now. That's official. The Bills general manager was making a run at worst general manager in the league but post Corey Coleman trade, he's safe. He can no longer be tagged with that designation. Now it's on the coaches. Will they keep him on the active 53-man roster even though he'll never pick up the playbook in time? It's impossible. Look what happened to Sammy Watkins last year. But Sammy Watkins still had the brand equity. Of course, they're going to keep Sammy Watkins and feature Sammy Watkins even though it's futile because he's not up to speed on the playbook in week one and he was behind all season. Well, that's going to be the case with Corey Coleman. You trade for Corey Coleman looking ahead to a 2019 breakout. Can the coaching staff be unified with the front office and be forward-looking and keep Corey Coleman on the active roster where he belongs? That's the question. And I think they will. And to a certain extent, they, they have the cop-out because this just isn't a very deep wide receiver depth chart. So the sacrifices that they have to make in order to make that happen, you know, the opportunity cost there just isn't all that high. Um, Are they going to cut Andre Holmes? <gasps> no! Yeah, um, they're making their own demise here at the receiver position. It, it, I can't believe they haven't addressed it. And it's been like two straight off seasons where uh, one, they, you know, they traded Sammy Watkins one year. And then the next year, there just seemed like they not only did they not make any additions, they just seemed like they weren't even motivated whatsoever right. to address the wide receiver position. It's almost like Jerry Jones is running the Bills. Just out here mailing it in. I mean, is there anyone on this depth chart at any position in Buffalo that you qualify for truth or status on? So the guy, I'm worried he's going to get cut. Um, but Logan Thomas interests me because yeah, they've got, buddy. you know, I, I I can't stand Charles Clay. I'm I, I'm anti Charles Clay. You're anti Charles Clay. I'm anti Charles Clay. Well, you just don't like his contract. Stonehands, Charles Clay. The, and that contract was an embarrassment. The Yeah, egregious contract for him, uh, you know, consistently banged up. And then you look behind him, you know, there's not much. And it looks like, though, they, they might not keep Logan Thomas, which, uh, you know, he's got an 86th percentile agility score. He's got an 89th percentile speed score. He's a big dude, 6'6", 248. Uh, the playerprofiler.com best comp is Austin Safarian Jenkins. Like for a team that's just devoid of upside on the offensive side of the ball at the skill positions, you know, how do you not keep this guy? Um, you know, because you want to take, you know, Curry Lee or Capri Lee or, you know, Kroom, I think is the other guy there that they're thinking of keeping. I don't know who those players are, but <laughs> it's becoming clear that the Buffalo Bills are the Dallas Cowboys North without Dak Prescott. That's really what they are. They're Dallas Cowboys North without Dak Prescott, and that's just sad. 
Why didn't the Buffalo Bills go out and acquire Austin Safarian Jenkins in free agency? That would have been a perfect signing for them. They saw him in the division. They did. You know, they didn't, you know, and we talked about, you know, some Debbie guys like Corey Coleman shifting over to the Bills. That helps Jeff Janis a little bit there. I'm looking at your wall. But like guys like Jeff Janis, they, they made no effort to get to. Um, so Jeff Janis just got dropped in my Dynasty Best Ball League. Where are you on the Janice train? You know, Coleman's out of there. Josh Gordon, there's always just some, you know, risk there right. as far as how often he's going to see the field. I mean, there's no other way to put it. It just, it's there. Uh, you, you do start to, you know, and Callaway has got some risks. Uh, you think? You start, <laughs> you start to see some routes to Jeff Janice actually getting some playing time. And, you know, Tyrod's capable. Baker Mayfield is one of the best quarterback prospects we've seen the last handful of years. You know, I, I'm could it, Jeff Janis actually happen or is it just going to be forever chasing that dream? Well, I don't think that the fantasy gods want me to be happy. They want me in a constant state of agitation. So they will make sure that Jeff Janis never happens. But it is possible for Jeff Janis to happen. We saw Adam Thielen happen. We've seen Chris Hogan happen. We've seen players ascend on their second and third franchises at age 24, 25, 26, 27. It is possible. I mean, Jerron Brown's 28 years old, and he could happen in Seattle because that wide receiver depth chart is very shallow. So in Dynasty, I'm rostering Jeff Janis. I own Jeff Janis in every league. I've never dropped him. I will not drop him. Even in shallower leagues, I refuse to drop him because he's part of my brand, and I would never do that. If a buzzard out there in this audience somehow screen-capped the transactions list in a league where it showed the podfather, Jeff Janis, dropped I would lose all credibility in this industry. I might as well retire at that point. So Jeff Janis and I are, for better or worse, married in fantasy football. It would take him getting cut by the Browns to force us into divorce. But as long as he's on the Browns and the Browns are rolling with the two riskiest wide receivers in the NFL, then I am continuing to stash Jeff Janis. Although, I believe Rashard Higgins has an easier path to targets. I think that Rashard Higgins could easily be the number two receiver at various points for the Browns this season. And with Tyrod Taylor and Baker Mayfield, he has potential for 75 targets, and that's absolutely worth stashing. I'm still bitter over Rashard Higgins' uh, chalk week from last year in DFS when he had that breakout game the next week everybody jumped on him. I think it might have been against the Colts and... Needless to say, disaster. He was not actually chalk. Yeah, I think he was. But he actually wasn't. <laughs> be careful with your free square wide receivers yes. in DFS. Just be careful, everybody. This is not so, the running back position. They're not as disposable and replaceable as running backs. Same with tight ends. We talked about Austin Severian Jenkins. He ends up in Jacksonville. Marquise Lee tears his ACL. And yet I'm not hearing a lot about Austin Safarian Jenkins. I believe he should be rising up draft boards, but he isn't. It's weird. It is weird because everyone's trying to figure out this wide receiver situation that's so muddled and nobody's talking about ASJ. You know, everyone's saying, you know, take Moncrief because he's cheaper than Cole. Take Cole, look at, you know, the preseason statistics from Cole. And I'm just sitting here thinking... I don't have to mess, you know, there's a lot of, 
receivers in the range of those guys are going that I like for upside. I don't have to mess with them. And I can take ASJ as a second tight end where That's he's right. going. That's right. And capture the upside. Uh, you did mention, you know, that free square receiver being tricky, though. Keelan Cole, he's the free square receiver week one on FanDuel. Oh, yeah. There, if there ever was a cheap cash game receiver for DFS, it is Keelan Cole week one. Keelan Cole week one. Keelan Cole week one. Let me say it again. Keelan Cole week one. <laughs> because Keelan Cole's the guy. Keelan Cole is the number one receiver because when the depth chart was announced prior to Marquise Lee's injury, Keelan Cole was the number two receiver. So here's how the math works, Mike. When the number one receiver goes out, the number two receiver becomes the number one receiver. And when the number one receiver also has a 60% dominator rating at the college level and was the second most productive rookie wide receiver after Cooper Cup last season, then you don't overthink it. You just pick up Keelan Cole in all formats, and especially in Dynasty, you go out and acquire Keelan Cole. You approach the Keelan Cole owner, say, what would it take to get Keelan Cole? And then you go out there and you get Keelan Cole. Do it. You heard it here. And I have to ask you, though, because I love using playerprofile.com as someone that doesn't watch college football, really doesn't pay attention to college football, but it is very in the DFS world. I, you know, I need to get a read on these players, whether they're any good or not. A quick snapshot. I, I you know I'm going to your site to check out Cam Meredith the week that he went off. And I was like, oh, do I want to play this cheap receiver from from the Bears? Is it worth it? And that sold me uh, on using Cam Meredith. But where I struggle sometimes, and it's where I want to get your thoughts on, I see Keelan Cole, 99th percentile college dominator rating, 99th percentile college YPR. Uh, but then I see, you know, he's undrafted out of, uh, you know, Kentucky Wesleyan. These guys that go to smaller schools, how do you mentally adjust for the dominator rating, the college YPR? And a second, you know, follow up to that would be, do you have any plans to maybe like do in some sort of like indexed adjusted college dominator rating that kind of accounts for these types of things? Or is that just too messy? Maybe in five years, we'll have an indexed college dominator rating. In the meantime, those of us with common sense can simply calibrate the dominator rating and bring it down. So if you just bring it down 10 percentage points, it's still a 50% dominator rating, which is what DJ Moore posted at Maryland and is still above the 95th percentile. So Keelan Cole is the perfect case of a wide receiver who fits in that Antonio Brown archetype. And I'm not afraid to use the name Antonio Brown as a comparable to other receivers. I'm just not afraid of that. I'm afraid of nothing. The fucking podfather can say whatever the fuck I want. And in the case of Keelan Cole, we have to start the conversation. This is one of the true savant wide receivers in the league, a possession receiver who delivers splash plays. There are very few of those receivers in the league. One of them happens to be named Antonio Brown. When a wide receiver can transcend his workout metrics the way Keelan Cole transcended his workout metrics as a rookie, that's an indicator that he has a je ne sais quoi factor that he understands how to take advantage of the creases and crevices on a football field and he's simply outworking every other wide receiver in that wide receiver room in Jacksonville and he's outworking the cornerbacks that he's lining up across from there's no other explanation for how Keelan Cole who runs a 4640 
was able to post a 9.0 yards per target, top 20 in the NFL last season with Blake Bortles as his quarterback, also finishing top 30 in total yards after the catch on just 83 targets. That's almost a riddle. How do you finish outside the top 45 in targets, but inside the top 30 in yards after the catch? As a rookie, no less. Well, the answer is simple. You're a fantastic receiver. You understand all the nuances of the position in a way that workout metrics can't capture, but metrics like college dominator and yards per reception and breakout age do capture. So once Keelan Cole establishes NFL-level efficiency, the workout metrics lose a lot of their relevancy. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, One guy that does have good workout metrics and is sort of the bridge from, we talked about my Bills, we'll talk about your Patriots, Chris Hogan, uh, another undrafted guy. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. And and so for that reason, Keelan Cole is the wide receiver to own in all formats. He is ranked higher on our dynasty rankings than D.D. Westbrook because I believe he's just a better receiver. And over time, he will compile a hell of a lot more fantasy points than D.D. Westbrook. D.D. Westbrook might go out and have a bigger week one. And then the assumption will be always the D.D. Westbrook show. But by the end of the season, Keelan Cole will have more fantasy points. And by the end of his career, Keelan Cole's resume will dwarf D.D. Westbrook's and Dante Moncrief's. Dante Moncrief isn't going to happen, Mike. Dante Moncrief would have happened already. It's been four years of the Dante Moncrief experience. We've seen players with great workout metrics from Martavis Bryant to Justin Hunter get ample opportunity with competent quarterback play and not fire. And once you see that happen, you just need to move on and not continue to refresh their player profile or workout metrics and hope for the best. That roster spot is better used elsewhere. Just like we talked about buying high on a player like Devontae Freeman and Keelan Cole, sell low on Dante Moncrief. Doesn't the cost factor into this, though? So I'm looking, you know, just for seasonal, for redraft. I know we're talking dynasty, but for redraft, uh, the NFFC ADP, in the last week or so, you've got Keelan Cole going 143rd on average. You've got Moncrief going outside the top 200. So basically for free at the tail end of your draft. But that's not the case anymore. That data is still being skewed by the presence of Marquise Lee. In the next week, you will see Dede Westbrook, Keelan Cole, and Dante Moncrief jump 50 slots in all formats, including dynasty startups. So this is the time, this is the perfect time to jettison Dante Moncrief from your roster before week one starts and fantasy gamers realize, oh, he's not even a starter without Marquise Lee. This guy's not going to happen. Sidestep that Dante Moncrief landmine now while you can get something back. You have a week. Go. So I'm splitting a best ball league with Davis Maddock. Uh, we're drafting Friday. He is giving me the hard sell on D.D. Westbrook as the guy to own here. Why not D.D.? Why isn't it going to be D.D.? Because I think D.D.'s a field stretcher. But when given an opportunity last year, Keelan Cole was much more efficient. So the NFL production and efficiency matters more than what they did in college. I understand that D.D. Westbrook won the Bolitnikoff. And he delivers the splash plays. But he also did it at age 22. So he has a Kevin White-esque breakout age. And he does not have a clean off-the-field resume. 
And he doesn't look the part of an all-purpose wide receiver. He looks the part of a field stretcher. And a one-dimensional field stretcher in the Blake Bortles offense is not an asset that I'm going to be relying on week in, week out, where Keelan Cole can run routes close to the line of scrimmage and then secure a short pass from Blake Bortles, pivot up field, get a first down, score a touchdown. When you game that scenario out in your head, it's much easier to imagine Keelan Cole being a productive asset this season than it is D.D. Westbrook. So we'll jump from one undrafted receiver to another your Patriots, Chris Hogan, my former Bills, Chris Hogan, who has some really strong athletic numbers. You can, you can check for yourself on playerprofiler.com. The Spark X percentile is you know really high end for Hogan, and he's just simply produced. He produced with the Bills, even when you know they had a low volume passing offense. He's produced with the Patriots. I did a model looking at the receivers last season with 50 plus targets, and he was one of the higher rated receivers in terms of expected yards per target and expected touchdown rate just based on where the targets were coming from the air yards of the target so uh the question we have in the show sheet is if i'm ready for chris hogan to continue to haunt bills fans and you know what i am absolutely ready because i own a lot of shares of chris hogan in basically all fantasy formats and i mentioned to you that first dynasty draft i did things coming together got peterman off free agency before the Chris Hogan hype train really got going, like I, I think like three weeks ago or so, it feels like there was just a turn and people were finally buying, was able to ship Sammy Watkins to another team in return for Chris Hogan and Aaron Jones. So I was pretty ecstatic about that. Uh, are you are you ready for Chris Hogan this season? That's a great trade. I love the trades where you get a more productive player in 2018, but you also get a player that can become a foundation of your future. So that, to me, was the best of both worlds, getting an upgrade at wide receiver for 2018, and then Aaron Jones could be the bell cow back for the Green Bay Packers as early as midseason. So bravo on that trade. Also bravo in taking control of the steering wheel. The reason why these questions are phrased as such, are you ready for Chris Hogan to continue to haunt the Bills fans this season? The reason why it's phrased that way in the show sheet is because I often take control of the show. I grab the steering wheel from the guest (laughs) host, and you are refusing to let me take over the steering wheel. You want to drive this show, and I love it. I love a strong hand at the till, and that is Mike Leone. You want a guest host, you got a guest host. I got myself a guest host. A hell of a guest host. Chris Hogan's good. <laughs> I mean, it's just it, right? He's just, he's just kind of good, and you're right. Yeah, that's simple. It's that simple. And in the games that he plays, he scores touchdowns, right? Five touchdowns in nine games. You want to do an extrapolation, that's nine touchdowns in a 16-game season. I know we don't like to do extrapolations, but it's worth noting because they lost Brandon Cooks. There's vacated targets galore in New England. No Malcolm Mitchell, no Jordan Matthews, no Kenny Britt. It's going to be Chris Hogan and Philip Dorsett. I mean, Philip Dorsett lives. Philip Dorsett could catch a long touchdown pass in week one, and the truthers are all going to come out from wherever they're hiding (laughs) Draped in their Philip Dorsett 433 40-time robes. I can't wait for that to happen. I hope it happens. I love it when fast players 
catch long touchdowns. I mean, who doesn't love that? So I absolutely want Philip Dorsett to be a thing. Philip Dorsett has a better chance of becoming a thing than Dante Moncrief. Let's put it that way. But in the meantime, on the typical Patriots drive, you know what's going to happen, right? You know it's going to be quick flare to James White, handoff to Rex Burkhead, Rob Gronkowski down the seam, corner route, back of the end zone, Chris Hogan, touchdown. You know that's what's going to happen. And so if you know that's what's going to happen in week one and week two and week three and week four, you should be drafting Chris Hogan in all formats. I just drafted him in the fourth round of a seasonal league, the Friends of Roto World League, and he's being underdrafted in startups because in Dynasty, he's about to turn 30. And once you turn 30, Mike, you don't exist to Dynasty leaguers. Well, he exists to me. And you mentioned the touchdowns, and sometimes that can be a spot for regression, right? We can overrate the guys that score a lot of touchdowns because it inflates the fantasy point total. Sure. We get excited, yeah. and it doesn't happen, and and vice versa. Like a Julio Jones, we you know worry too much. Oh, he only scored three times last year. But with Hogan— yeah, If the Patriots had gone out and acquired Allen Robinson, I would agree with you. Okay, fine. They went out. Now they have Allen Robinson. They have a more traditional red zone weapon on the outside in Allen Robinson instead of Brandon Cooks. Be careful projecting Chris Hogan to score a lot of touchdowns. But they didn't do that. They have Philip Dorsett. That's what changes the calculus. Yeah, and the the opportunities he got line up with the expected touchdown rate. We had him for an expected touchdown rate of eight percent. Uh, He had a touchdown rate of 8% last season. He didn't even exceed expectations. They're just in the red zone all the time. Yeah, exactly. That's the point. He's getting those types of opportunities. So it's, you know, you got to be careful just blindly throwing the regression tag on touchdown without looking at, you know, what types of opportunities are these guys actually earning? And he's earning uh, really strong opportunities and 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 we and we track uh, expected fantasy points per game on playerprofiler.com and yes Chris Hogan scored one more fantasy point per game last season than expectation but that's common with the elite quarterbacks when your quarterback is Drew Brees and Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers you're going to score more fantasy points than expectation each and every season because those passes are more accurate than passes thrown by other quarterbacks. So, of course, skill position players tethered to the best quarterbacks will more often than not exceed expected fantasy points. So a 1.0 fantasy point differential for Chris Hogan per game last season is normal. It's not something for which you should be concerned about a regression. So Patriots, you know, some mild Des Bryant rumors, you know, they, they released Jordan Matthews, they released... Uh, Eric Decker, some, you know, talk about how they're not that deep. You know, they've got Cordell Patterson there. Well, they, they're not that deep. There's not talk about they're not that deep. They're, they're not deep. If I were the Patriots, I would be looking to trade for a wide receiver. And the wide receiver I would be targeting is Golden Tate. What if I told you the Patriots were about to acquire Golden Tate? As a Bills fan, how would that make you feel? Well, as a Bills fan, it would not make me feel very good because I just don't <laughs> want the Patriots to have any more ammo than they already do. I'm I'm enraged at your laughter because I just <laughs> in this inferior position as far as my allegiances to my team. So it wouldn't make me feel very good. But from a fantasy perspective, well, first from a real life perspective, you might say, oh, they have Julian Edelman. What are they going to do with Golden Tate? Well, they made it work with Julian Edelman and Danny Amendola 
uh, you know, two short yardage type guys. Yeah, the Julian Edelman will just move into the Amendola role, and Golden Tate is an upgrade over Julian Edelman. I mean, Golden Tate leads the league in yards after the catch per target each and every year because he is one of, if not the best slot receivers in the league. He's a slot receiver with explosiveness. He's what Jarvis Landry zealots want Jarvis Landry to be and will never be because Jarvis Landry does not have that kind of speed and explosiveness. Golden Tate does. The idea that the Patriots can trade Malcolm Brown, whose contract is set to expire next season, and airdrop Golden Tate onto this offense feels unfair. But if you're the Lions, you would do it because you have Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones. So Golden Tate's expendable if you're the Lions. There's no reason to pay Golden Tate that big contract when you have two exceptional receivers who are capable of handling all those targets. That would be an exciting scenario. Kenny Galladay could happen. Marvin Jones, I feel like as of right now, he's someone that's being overdrafted just because Golden Tate's going to take X amount of targets in the role that he's in. And if Galladay emerges and and Jones just had... You know, he had a great season, but I, I'm worried about the ability for him to repeat there. But if you remove Golden Tate from the equation, all of a sudden, the targets that open up oh my changes the dynamic quite a bit. Marvin Jones would be a monster if Golden Tate goes to New England. Based on the law of the conservation of targets, Marvin Jones would get the biggest share of the Golden Tate targets, and it would be absolute bananas for Marvin Jones. Because with Golden Tate in the lineup, and Kenny Galladay. Marvin Jones only commanded 5.3 targets and posted 12.5 fantasy points per game last year. When Galladay was out, he commanded close to 10 targets and over 17 fantasy points per game. So Marvin Jones splits with and without Kenny Galladay are on the outer bounds of statistical splits that I've ever seen. So what you're saying is if we're playing an ADP arbitrage game, which we should play right now, let's play a game. ADP arbitrage. I just made up that name. I like it. And I'm going to modulate my voice so it sounds cool. So right now, Marvin Jones, Golden Tate, who do you got? My answer is trick question. I've got I've got Kenny Galladay going 50 picks after both of these guys. That's the guy to take. If you're drafting in the fifth round and Marvin Jones and Golden Tate are available, who are you drafting, Mike? I'm, I'm taking Golden Tate. I'm taking the consistency in, in what he brings with the shorter targets and you know and generally i'm playing half ppr full ppr leagues and i like the floor better usually i don't make floor plays but this is a scenario where i like the floor of golden tate because golden tate not only has a high floor he also has a high ceiling because he has the explosive athleticism and there's a chance he gets straight into the fucking patriots oh my god <laughs> Let's go wide receivers on the same team. Robert Woods, Cooper Cup. Robert Woods. Well, that's the wrong answer. I'm taking the steering wheel, Mike. Rapid fire, Tyrell Williams or Mike Williams? Tyrell Williams. Correct. Got one right. Paul Richardson or Josh Doxson? Close, but uh, Paul Richardson. Yes, thank you. You're doing well. You're really coming back from that. (laughs) Wrong answer on the Robert Woods, Cooper Cup dichotomy. Kenny Stills or Devontae Parker? I think it might still be Stills, even though he's going earlier. (laughs) 
Four for five. Excellent work by Mike Leone and excellent work by the Podfather in reestablishing control of the show. <laughs> the other wide receiver I can envision the Patriots trading for is Deshaun Jackson. Can you imagine Deshaun Jackson and Philip Dorsett on the Patriots? I mean, can you imagine the, the space they would create for Chris Hogan and Rob Gronkowski? Doesn't that just make you smile, that idea? The thought of Deshaun Jackson in a Patriots uniform, makes the blood rush to my penis, and it instantly becomes erect. I've shriveled. I don't like it. One, the Patriots aspect, we already know, scorns me. Two, Deshaun Jackson scorns me as someone that every week last year, this is, this is my GPP wide receiver in DFS, and historically, he is one of the better performers in yards per target over what he should get, and what he should get is already really high because of the types of targets he creates, and last year was the opposite. had a really bad year, so is he aging, you know? He is aging. Breaking news. We are all aging. That is true, as is Deshaun Jackson. He is, in fact, a human being, a homo sapien who happens to be aging. And the problem with Deshaun Jackson is he's an aging wide receiver at the wrong position at field stretcher. Fortunately, he has the sub 4-4 wheels, so he can lose some explosiveness and speed and still be effective. The same is true for Mike Wallace. Deshaun Jackson and Mike Wallace are the two best aging field stretchers. But because of this injury to Alshon Jeffrey, Mike Wallace is now more valuable in fantasy football than Deshaun Jackson. It's crazy, but it's true. And if I were the Zeus of the NFL and I could just make any trade happen that I wanted to happen, after moving Golden Tate to the Patriots, my next preferred trade would be to move Deshaun Jackson to the Patriots for whatever defensive players. I don't care about defensive players. And that because that because not only would because for all the reasons we want to see Kenny Galladay unlocked in Detroit, I'm even more excited to see Chris Godwin unlocked in Tampa. So who do you think is going to be better this year? Do you think it's going to be Godwin or Galladay? If you had to overpay for one of these guys in Dynasty, who would it be? I think it's Galladay. I, I like the profile for Galladay a bit better, but I do struggle with this because I, mean, I like them both. And Godwin has, you know, we talked about TD rate regression. Godwin was re ran really unlucky in terms of touchdown scored last season. So that's going to come back this season. Uh, of course, you've got the long-term upside given his athletic profile, you know, 95th percentile spark X score. The college metrics are good, you know, good YPR, good dominator rating, good breakout age. Ticks pretty much all of the boxes. Did you have Chris Godwin in DFS in week 17 last season? Is that the one where he had a touchdown that like got reviewed? I don't, I don't, I don't remember. I hate week 17 so much. You probably love it. I love week 17 because it allows me to use my player profiler skills to find the backup players that project to command starter snaps. And last season, week 17, Chris Godwin, 12 targets, 111 yards and a touchdown on 111 yards and a touchdown on 12 targets. <laughs> and ninth in yards per target, nine and a half on the season so really efficient just ran, just ran unlucky with touchdowns so but my answer is Galladay just because I I don't know I it's kind of a feel thing I just think the upside's more what's well, a better quarterback situation and that's a big deal to have Matthew Stafford as your quarterback for the next five years that's huge 
for for Kenny Galladay in Dynasty. You don't have Mike Evans there. I know that it seems like everyone in my bubble is like very anti Mike Evans and I'm down on him too, but he's still there. Like you can't just pretend he's not there. I like to pretend he's not there. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to have a, a Mike Evans trap door installed in Tampa and just hit a button and bye. Never have to see him again. I'm really conflicted on Mike Evans because I was really high on him for a while. Uh, and I've been talking about these expected expected metrics that we've come up with with our model. And over his career, Evans is below league average in terms of like the difference between his expected stats and catch rate and mm-hmm. yards per target and touchdown rate. I mean, not by a lot, but a little bit across the board. And that is concerning the targets he's earning to their high variance targets. Right. So this is a he's not the normal volume hog that he's being drafted alongside in in most formats that's right i think nelson Aguilar is going to be a target hog in the first two weeks of the season until alshon jeffrey returns it's impossible to rank nelson Aguilar high enough am i right he's a good example of we're talking about Devonte freeman buying high that's right that's that's Nelson Aguilar, who just had a fantastic season. There's no other way around it. And it seems like people have, and myself included, have sort of, I don't want to say fully ignored it, but maybe aren't giving it the credit and the stock that it's due. He's the next Devontae Adams. He was dismissed because his first two seasons were Devontae Adams level inefficient. And then his third year was Devontae Adams level efficient. And his touchdown rate was higher than expected, like Devontae Adams. But because Devontae Adams is tethered to Aaron Rodgers, the touchdown rate is going to consistently slot in above expectation. And you can expect the same from Nelson Aguilar tethered to Carson Wentz. I mean, it's time to come to Jesus on Nelson Aguilar like we came to Jesus on Devontae Adams. The difference is Nelson Aguilar was a ninth rounder in seasonal leagues, seventh rounder in dynasty startups. Devontae Adams going four to five rounds earlier. The gap between Devontae Adams and Nelson Aguilar needs to narrow significantly. And the only way to do that is to move Nelson Aguilar up at a high velocity. I just don't think that because Nelson Aguilar and Mike Wallace have such damaged brands, they have these grossly inefficient seasons on their resume, it's this governor on how high you can possibly move them up based on target share, but you have to ignore their past and chase the targets. And if you're chasing targets, especially in early in the season when you want to get those wins, you want to start the season 2-0 and in your fantasy league, don't you? Well, if you want to start the season 2-0, and I have some advice for you. Go get Nelson Aguilar and Mike Wallace and start them. That's how you do it. That's the easy cheat code. Starting the season 2-0, and get Mike Wallace, get Nelson Aguilar. And don't worry about pass inefficiency because to me, it's not relevant. I'm, I'm in a best ball draft on draft. And I'm putting you on the spot. Seventh round. Oh, Aguilar. Aguilar. All day? Aguilar. Oh, he should have been gone already. It's irrational that Aguilar is there now. You're fixing a glitch by drafting him in the seventh round. I really just maneuvered coming on this show to get advice for this one pick. It's a very important pick, so... Push the button on Nelson Aguilar. And don't be afraid to stack Aguilar and Mike Wallace. I don't like to stack the most expensive wide receiver with less expensive pieces, but I do like to stack 
the ancillary receivers on a team because if the number one wide receiver cornerstone falls away, like is what we're seeing in Philadelphia, it's wheels up for the for every other mm-hmm. receiver in that group because of the law of the conservation of targets. So that's why I'm comfortable stacking Chris Godwin and Deshaun Jackson. It's why I'm comfortable stacking Nelson Aguilar and Mike Wallace. And I'm also comfortable stacking Taewon Taylor and Rashard Matthews for the same reason. Is it possible that Taewon Taylor is just simply a better player than Corey Davis? No, it's not. And as good as Taylor has played in the preseason, he hasn't really ascended up this depth chart the way that you would expect it. And you start to wonder... Where where can he go? He's number two with Rashard Matthews out. You want him to usurp the top 10 pick in his second year? Well, if you look at where the snaps are coming from, it hasn't been great. Maybe maybe I... I hold on, let me, let me do that over. Give me a... Where, where's the edit button? Where's the Podfather edit button? There's no Podfather edit button. This is going in the outtakes. You're fucked, Mike. This is the outtakes. There is no delete. Only my mistakes get deleted. Only <laughs> But... Wasn't he running behind Tajay Sharp in the preseason? No. What are you talking about? In his second game that he, you know, had that. He took a screen pass from Marcus Mariota and scored a touchdown. How was that playing behind Tajay Sharp? I don't know. This is. Is he playing with a second quarterback? No, he's playing with the first team. The information that I've been receiving, death to the Roto World blurb. They seem to be pessimistic on where he's going up the depth chart. I've just do you see like how I've shifted blame. Like, trust me, you're not the only one. Most dynasty leaguers believe Corey Davis is great and Corey Davis is destined to happen because they chase draft capital. And all we've seen the last three years are first round picks flame out one after another, after another, after another. And if the first round picks flaming out aren't enough, how about second round picks? Like, oh, Zay Jones, you know, Zay Jones. Well, why, why we got to go there? You thought we were going to get out of this podcast without mentioning the name Zay Jones. You were wrong. Taewon Taylor was as impressive as a prospect as Corey Davis. But Corey Davis is a black box athlete. We don't know what kind of athlete Corey Davis is because he couldn't do any testing because of the broken foot during the pre-draft process. So while Corey Davis was a dominant producer, one of the most prolific wide receivers in college football history, there are question marks on his profile. And unlike Keelan Cole, when he had an opportunity to demonstrate efficiency on the football field, he failed last season. So all I wanted from Corey Davis was to confirm my biases that he's great last season, and he couldn't do it. So that's why I now have doubts. But Taewon Taylor, on the other hand, has done nothing but exceed expectations whenever he's asked to produce on a football field. That's what he does. He was a metronome as a downfield producer at Western Kentucky. His yards per reception was consistently year over year over year over 17.0. And then when he comes to the NFL, what does he do? Delivers splash plays. For all the reasons I like Keelan Cole, I also like Taewon Taylor. And I'm hesitant to stamp number one receiver on a player that hasn't done anything in the NFL level yet just because he was drafted in the top 10. Not going to happen. We talk about stacking the second and third receivers tethered to quality quarterbacks. That's also the argument to draft Tyler Lockett and Jerron Brown. I mean, can anything stop Tyler Lockett in particular from becoming a thing this season? 
The only thing I'm worried about is Jerron Brown, you know, and... I can't believe we're at a place where we're worried about Jerron Brown. I love it! Yes, Jerron! Worry me! Well, I just wonder, I think the big question mark here is Doug Baldwin's health. You know, he said he's not fully healthy. And if you take Doug Baldwin out of the equation, like you mentioned with Alshon Jeffrey and the Eagles, it's, you know, everybody's value is rising. That's a huge target void to fill. But while he's there... I don't know if we see anybody on this team ascend to a 20% target share. I think we might see a bunch, a couple of guys, 15, 16%. And I don't know, you know, how much that does for you. Lockett was efficient on a per target basis, but is he ever going to get that high end, not even high end volume, but, you know, the type of volume that's requisite for you know a true breakout upside season. I just want a thousand yard season from a number two receiver. We saw it with John Brown, and that's his mm-hmm. best comparable player on PlayerProfiler.com. I'm not saying he has to finish as a wide receiver one in fantasy. I don't think that's in Tyler Lockett's range of outcomes. But he could finish as a wide receiver two, and Jerron Brown could finish as a wide receiver three, and they would both return great value in doing so. I think that we're at the place now where Doug Baldwin is one of the most overrated wide receivers in Dynasty because he's one of the few who seems to be immune to the ageists in the Dynasty League community. They've rationalized Doug Baldwin's age that he has a game like Antonio Brown. He's going to be 30 as well. If he's not the most overrated wide receiver in the league, who is? I am offended that you're going to blasphemize the great Doug Baldwin like this in dynasty leagues in dynasty leagues he's about to turn 30 and he's not Antonio Brown and he's not Larry Fitzgerald and he's hurt I mean if this is a washout season then you're talking about Doug Baldwin at age 31 coming back from injury in 2019 who the hell is excited about that asset on their dynasty roster all right I'm just gonna give Baldwin some love as someone that for his level of targets the last several seasons nobody comes close to him in terms of outperforming his expected metrics across the board so i'm gonna give him some love i see the point about dynasty no i have no problem you want to go out and compare him to antonio brown i started the antonio brown comparison with keelan cole so i'm open to the antonio brown comparison and if anyone can be antonio brown light in their early 30s it's doug baldwin but he's also being priced as such What's not being priced into Doug Baldwin and Dynasty is the idea that this could be a washout season for him. And that's why this is a player I'd be more inclined to get out from under right now than, say, a Chris Hogan. So he's not the most overrated wide receiver in Dynasty. Absolutely not. That's easy. That's Devontae Parker. But for you, who's the most overrated wide receiver in Dynasty? I'll give you two. I think Mike Evans and Calvin Ridley are are the two that... How overrated is Calvin Ridley? It's pretty wild and i think as you said people are obsessed with draft capital it's wild uh, i think the combination of draft capital and just that he was better known than some of the other wide receiver prospects for the fact that he went to alabama played well in the national championship game um but when you start looking vividness bias yeah exactly when you start and this is why i, I love a daily roto when we we do our projections each week we've got we're very transparent in the baselines and the volume that's projected for players and the efficiency that's projected. And it's all customizable, so you can fool around with it. So if you have this vividness bias or 
obsession with a player and you're like, oh, he doesn't project really well. I wonder why you can look closer and you can just see the math just doesn't add up. Doesn't. And with with Calvin Ridley, I think that's the case. It's just a situation where, you know, competing for targets with obviously with Julio Jones, um, you know, depending on where he even is starting week one uh, on the depth chart and was overrated as a prospect. I just think that uh, he's going solely because of where he was drafted. And people, I think, think this is a great spot for him because they just think, oh, Atlanta, that's awesome. Um, but for fantasy, I don't know if that's the case. Oh, it would have been awesome if Atlanta drafted Traquan Smith. It would have been awesome if Atlanta drafted Cortland Sutton. It would have been awesome if Atlanta drafted James Washington, far superior wide receivers. But they didn't. Unfortunately for Atlanta Falcons fans, they drafted Calvin Ridley. Actually, let me slow my voice down in the editing room. They drafted Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley. You got all the tricks. Because Calvin Ridley has no burst. 107.7 second percentile burst score. So in those explosion drills at the combine, broad jump, vertical jump, I mean, he barely registered a value. If he played on any other team, he wouldn't have been a first round pick. He was picked in the first round solely because he played at Alabama. And what I said five months ago is that if Traquan Smith and Calvin Ridley had switched teams, it would have been Traquan Smith being drafted in the first round and Calvin Ridley being drafted in the fifth round, not the third round like Traquan Smith, because Traquan Smith is a far superior wide receiver prospect by every measure. And yet, Dynasty Leaguers are still confidently drafting Calvin Ridley in the first round, and it makes no sense. And it's not just Dynasty Leaguers. Look at high stakes fantasy gamers in the FFPC best ball leagues. Calvin Ridley's going at slot 140. Muhammad Sanu is going at slot 207. But Muhammad Sanu was the one hogging the snaps with the first team offense in preseason, not Calvin Ridley. Muhammad Sanu is lining up next to Julio Jones and Matt Ryan, not Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley has not been able to supplant Muhammad Sanu in any game situation throughout training camp and preseason. And for an old wide receiver prospect, he's going to be 24 years old soon. That is a glaring red flag. He's the most overrated wide receiver prospect since Kevin White. And we will see him finish outside the top five rookie wide receivers in fantasy football this year. Because I think this wide receiver class is underrated. It won't just be the Calvin Ridley flameout, which pushes him down the rookie rankings as the season progresses. It's the fact that these other rookies are going to exceed expectations. Do you think this rookie wide receiver class is underrated? I absolutely do. I mean, I think immediate expectations for any rookie class need to be somewhat tempered when you just look at the historical rookie stats for wide receivers. But because we didn't have this top five, top 10 wide receiver pick right off the bat, I think um, people associate kind of a whole class where with where the top guys when, when you start looking at some of the other guys that went, and it's not just that good receivers got were in this draft class. We had some of the right receivers in the right spots, I feel like, with Traquan Smith in New Orleans, James Washington in Pittsburgh. Washington could surprisingly be one of the most impactful right away. And this is what I mentioned early in the show. When you have a Steelers offense that's very condensed in terms of volume, you think Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell. But you look beyond that, you still had Juju and Martavis Bryant for 32% market share of the targets, which isn't bad for the two and three wide receivers combined. 
That was in 2017. Yes. That's not terrible for two wide receivers combined when you've got so much volume going to two other players in Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown. So yeah, imagine Martavis Bryant, but strong at the catch point, right? (laughs) I mean, if you just give Washington Martavis Bryant's volume, it's not that big of a stretch. Yeah. James Washington can do more with those targets than Martavis Bryant. And I love the idea of Juju Smith-Schuster in the slot. Oh, Juju Smith-Schuster is going to slay this league out of the slot. Targeting the slot receiver has become a fixture of NFL offenses. And if you think about the NFL's signature game manager, a quarterback accustomed to checking down, finding the slot receiver wherever he is, it's Alex Smith. And who's his slot receiver? Jamison Crowder. And then you hear news reports from camp that Alex Smith is shockingly clicking with Jamison Crowder. And Jamison Crowder is young. So for me, Jamison Crowder is one of the best values in Dynasty. He may be the best value wide receiver in all of Dynasty. Right now it's Nelson Aguilar, but after Nelson Aguilar, another slot receiver, Jamison Crowder. He's only 25. And he's been productive. He's been good. You know, he's someone that we have for his career uh, with a catch rate that's a handful of percentage points higher than you would expect with the targets he's getting. And he's already getting those high catch rate expectation targets. He's transcending his workout metrics. And same thing with yards per target. So I have, I have two like more like overarching questions for you uh, as far as dynasty, because you talk about the shift to using the slot receiver as a key component of offenses. And as teams, you know, as a natural result of that, you see more spread out targets amongst teams. You don't see um, with the exception of kind of like the carryover high end receiver ones that, you know, Antonio Brown, Julio Jones, Odell Beckham in three years from now, are we going to have those high end receiver ones? Like, does that mess at all with how you're approaching the wide receiver position up top? I'm not sure if I worded this question exactly how I want it to, but no, I know exactly what you're saying. And this is a trend, not a blip spreading the targets out and the Alpha wide receiver one commanding a 30% target share is becoming more and more rare. And I think that trend will continue. But in Dynasty, that means the wide receiver one cohort in fantasy football is diminished. On a points per game basis, the wide receiver ones scored significantly less fantasy points last year than they did three years ago. Calvin Johnson's not in the league anymore. And those receivers aren't coming back. This is a league dominated by the Jamison Crowders and the Cooper Cups and the Nelson Aguilors, like it or not. And that means your Dynasty League strategy needs to change. The idea that you're just going to pencil in wide receiver in the first three rounds of a Dynasty startup because they accrue a higher lifetime value because they play longer is an anachronism. You can no longer use that strategy. Because so many wide receivers are available in the later rounds of startups that can offer, at a minimum, wide receiver three production, it incentivizes you to invest in the bell cow running backs in the first couple rounds. So last year in a startup, I started Le'Veon Bell, Melvin Gordon, and made the playoffs and made a run of the championship. And to me, that's the way to go in Dynasty League startups. And it's a two-sided coin. Not only do you have these later round value picks available because of the expanding roles, but the outside of the few obvious top guys, these guys you're drafting as these alpha wide, you know, wide receiver ones might not be what you think they're going to be as their target share has more of a ceiling than it has in the past. There's only one wide receiver that 
I'm targeting in the first round of Dynasty Startups, and it's DeAndre Hopkins for the reasons you expressed earlier, that there's been a target consolidation in Houston where it's just the DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller show. In a target consolidation situation with a wide receiver in his prime who is teed up for a career season at the peak of his powers, in that particular scenario, you can move me off running back in the first round. That's about it. Because... Even once you get into the double-digit rounds, there's no more starting running backs available. But there are starting wide receivers because so many teams are now implementing the three-receiver set. Like Tyler Boyd. Everyone's forgotten about Tyler Boyd. He's the best value slot receiver in those later rounds. He's been running with the ones in preseason. He's been productive. And yet is an afterthought in Dynasty Leagues after posting an impressive dominator rating and breakout age. All the things we love about Keelan Cole. Well, Tyler Boyd is that. He just hasn't had the opportunity that Keelan Cole had because A.J. Green wasn't lost to a torn ACL last season. But I think Tyler Boyd is a must-have in Dynasty because he's still young. He was a mega producer at the college level. And there are vacated targets to be had in Cincinnati. I'm a fan of Trent Taylor looking at San Francisco. I think that's a slot receiver that we could see emerge. He's got 95th percentile agility score. Uh, Jimmy G back there, if you're a believer in him. I know Derek Hardy of Roto Grinders has uh, his way of defining efficiency for quarterbacks. And even though it was a small sample size for Jimmy G last year, already has him um, in his top 10 quarterbacks in terms of yards per attempt as far as the quarterback skill baseline. So uh, I, I think the opportunity could be there. And as someone that I, I mean, I just don't hear very much hype around that I think, you know, I can get on board with. I took him in one of my two dynasty leagues I started up this year. I own Trent Taylor everywhere. I have more Trent Taylor than I have Tyler Boyd. So you you nailed that one. What about running backs? One running back rose up the dynasty rankings very quickly, not on player profiler, but in other places. Kenyon Drake. And the touches that Kenyon Drake is being promised in the media by Adam Gaze continue to deflate. First, he's going to get 25 touches. Then it's 20. Now it's 15. (laughs) And this is the most obvious thing I've ever seen. I mean, he parallels so closely with Ronald Jones. These are players with limited skill sets. They're satellite backs that can run fast in a straight line, but they're not strong receivers. So if you're a satellite back who's not good in the passing game, what the hell good are you? The guys like Kenyon Drake are the guys that you want to take last year you know when you're getting them at the correct cost you don't want to buy them after the breakout role when they're you know quote unquote you know guaranteed the volume that's when they're priced fully so we talk about buying high selling low on players this is not the type of player that you want to buy high on certainly there are sell high situations i'm not saying there's no situation that i would sell high of course oh absolutely in the history of fantasy football Kenyon Drake in Dynasty is the ultimate sell-high candidate. So one of my sell-high guys, I I think you might disagree with this one, but I don't get the Alex Collins love for Baltimore as someone that we're always talking about, you know, running back doesn't matter. Yards per carry is not a a good measure of running back quality. And you look at Alex Collins, you know, he was good in yards per carry. Some of the pro football focus metrics, he was, you know, top half, but not outstanding in elusive rating, breakaway run rate. He he was fine. And someone that doesn't have any draft capital, I view as a somewhat game script dependent back. He is. 
He's a game script dependent back on a bad offense. Yes, so I I don't I don't get it. Alex Collins is not an athletic back who'll be operating as the between the tackles grinder for an inefficient offense at the NFL level on a team likely to draft a running back in the first few rounds next season. He could be a complete zero. So this is a stay away back in Dynasty. I could see drafting him in a seasonal league if he's slipping to the fifth round. Then great, push the button. Enjoy him in a seasonal league, but not in Dynasty. The other danger is that a Javorius Allen emerges as the satellite back, and it's more of a committee than fantasy gamers that are fantasy wanting are ready to come to terms with. Yeah, I don't see, I mean, okay, this might be somewhat hot take, but you know, tell me the difference between Alex Collins and Isaiah Crowell situationally. Very little difference. What's the difference between Peyton Barber and Alex Collins? Matt, hello? There's not any. There's not any. I could argue that the difference is Javorius Allen is a better all-around back than Ronald Jones. (laughs) That's the difference. The difference is Peyton Barber is in a better situation because Peyton Barber is actually operating in a prolific offense with more red zone opportunities than Alex Collins. Yet Alex Collins is being drafted four rounds earlier in seasonal leagues and 10 rounds earlier in dynasty startups. And it makes no sense. Yeah, you're I mean, even now you're getting Barber sometimes eighth, ninth round. And I'm not that high on Barber. I'm more down on Ronald Jones, but even his cost has come way down. But no one was high on Alex Collins last year. Alex Collins was an SEC pounder that everyone dismissed last year. Well, that's Peyton Barber. He was a pounder at Auburn, still posted a 30% dominator rating with 1,000 yards, similar resume to Alex Collins in the SEC, was an afterthought in Dynasty Leagues, and then finds himself at the top of the depth chart scoring touchdowns. And in the case of Alex Collins, he showed efficiency in a small sample size. But counting stats are not the only source of small sample traps. You can also fall in an efficiency small sample trap. When a running back that's not particularly explosive goes out and posts efficiency metrics that you would expect from a David Johnson, you need to be wary that some of those long runs were the product of random chance and are not necessarily fully indicative of that player's ability. So when someone shows me Alex Collins' pro football focus grade, I say, okay, great. Do it again. Yeah, 100%. I'm right there with you. And then on the other end of that spectrum is Tevin Coleman. He's a player we know is explosive. And I also believe that Tevin Coleman has some of that Sammy Watkins brand equity around the league. I think general managers love Tevin Coleman like they, for whatever reason, love Sammy Watkins. It's why Sammy Watkins commanded the biggest contract among wide receivers in free agency, even higher than Allen Robinson this offseason. I can see a team overpaying Tevin Coleman next offseason. That's why I'm trying to stash him quietly in as many dynasty leagues as possible, thinking things could break his way this year. Great. If not, they most certainly will next season. Where would you like to see him go? Yeah, that's that's a really good question and a spot that I'm having some trouble with. But I think you know the Philadelphia Eagles is an interesting spot for him. That's it. I believe Ajayi is a free agent next year. Is that right? Same draft class. That's right. And neither one were first round picks. And this is a coaching staff that has already proven they know how to utilize players correctly. It's a high-end offense with a high-end quarterback to 
provide Tevin Coleman with all the support that he would need. It's a good offensive line. That seems like uh, the spot that most sticks out to me. It's easily the number one landing spot on my Tevin Coleman team wish list. But I would be happy with any every down back role wherever he goes. He doesn't have to go to San Francisco with Kyle Shanahan. He doesn't have to go to the Philadelphia Eagles and become a key cog in one of the best offenses in the league. Sure, that would be best case scenario. But I would even be happy with Tevin Coleman as just the primary back for the Dolphins. Like that would be better than where he is now, a secondary back for the Falcons. And Trey Burton just left the Eagles. So... Bummer for Trey Burton. He goes from winning a Super Bowl to the Bears. Why does everybody love Trey Burton? So I talked to uh, Drew Dinkmeyer, my partner at Daily Roto and resident Bears fan and expert. And our week one projections actually have Trey Burton as the highest market share of targets for tight ends behind the big three of Gronk, Ertz, and Kelsey. And the case for that is one, you know, the preseason usage has been really encouraging, kind of in line with what Nagy did with Travis Kelsey for Kansas City. You've also got injuries to uh, Adam Sheehan. Devastating. Devastating. That's the key. If Adam Sheehan's not playing, then it's going to be the Trey Burton show on any given down and distance. You've also got Gabriel Allen Robinson. They're coming off of injury. Uh, Treat Cohen's preseason workload has been low. So you just start to fill out the volume for Chicago and Burden's the guy that fits, you know, a decently athletic tight end. And, you know, I think that that's why you see this love for him. And I do think to a certain extent it's warranted. It's going to happen for Trey Burton. He's going to rip my face off. In the latest Mission Impossible, Tom Cruise ripped his face off again. Another incredible ripping off of a face. I think Tom Cruise is the best actor of all time. He has the blockbuster hits. He has the longevity. He has the comedic timing and the ability to carry an action movie. So there's no better actor in the history of movies than Tom Cruise. Is Tom Brady the Tom Cruise of the NFL? Well, first of all, Tom Cruise being the best actor of all time is an egregious level take. Yeah, he's so much better. I mean, you could say, but in the theater, it was Sidney Poitier. Yeah, sure, okay. <laughs> Marlon Brando, sure, okay. The, the, the critics, the film grinders, <laughs> right? The film grinders preferred Marlon Brando and Daniel Day-Lewis and Sidney Poitier. But when you look at the metrics, I just focus on the metrics. I don't watch the film. I don't watch the movies. I just look at the metrics. When you talk about earnings per movie, <laughs> production, efficiency, longevity, earnings, eyeballs, no other actor comes close to Tom Cruise. He's not comparable. And the fact that he's in his mid-50s, he's older than Wilford Brimley was in Cocoon. And he's carrying the biggest action movie of the summer. That's the equivalent of Tom Brady leading the Patriots to the Super Bowl at age 41. I hate that you feel the need to further torture me and force me to acknowledge not only the greatness of Tom Brady, but the fact that I, I'm not going to be rid of him probably anytime soon. That's right. Because just when you think you're rid of him, he's going to tear his face off. <laughs> Finally. We can beat up on Brian Hoyer. No! No, it's actually Tom! You know I'm a, a newfound Browns fan. 
and I have a newfound habit of taking the wayward franchise under my wing, Mm -hmm. like a lost puppy, nursing it back to health. I'm doing that with the Browns, and I want to do that with the Bills, but the Bills have to bottom out first, and the Bills fan base, hashtag Bills Mafia, has to come to Jesus, and there has to be a, a humbling moment where the team finishes in last place, and everything's on fire, and it's apoplectic in Buffalo. Once we get to that point, the Podfather will ride into Buffalo and encircle the community in a warm embrace, as I've done with Cleveland. Because I could see myself one day wanting the best for Buffalo, and what I would hope that they would do heading into 2018, assuming they finish last. (laughs) Just a foregone conclusion. And refuse to burn the first overall pick on a quarterback because of the Josh Allen sunk cost. So my solution would be for the Bills to go acquire Teddy Bridgewater. I think the Bills could win a Super Bowl in 2023 with Teddy Bridgewater. Do you agree? I'm a Tutty fan. I mean, I, I'd like to see that. Right. I'm, I am I just think that this franchise is so committed to Josh Allen that but that's part of the reason why I'm conflicted with the Peterman Allen starting thing, though, because do I just want Allen to start and sort of flame out immediately so we can stop fooling ourselves for longer? If I were a Bills fan, that's what I would want to happen. But I'm afraid Peterman is going to exceed expectations to such an extent that it will allow the team to win more games, create a better runway for Josh Allen to not look horrible at the end of the season, and instill the franchise and the fan base with hope mm-hmm. heading into 2019, and then you're another two years away from solving the quarterback problem. That's what's actually going to happen, and that's worst-case scenario. When you were came on my podcast and we talked about what's the worst-case scenario in the draft, well, they shouldn't draft Josh Allen, they shouldn't trade up, they definitely shouldn't do both. So we have a habit of (laughs) coming through on the worst case scenarios. I had forgotten about that. Oh, we called it. Oh, we called the ultimate hell for the Bills franchise. We told you so. Now I get you at her on this. One more told you so, but make it bold. Make it very, very bold. I want the boldest told you so you can possibly muster. Give it to us. All right. uh, David and Joku, top three tight end this season. Whoa! David Njoku, top three tight end this season. Whoa! Right? Right? So we talked about the routes to volume when we were messing around with Jeff Janis a little bit, but same thing applies to Njoku, even though it's at the tight end position. Elite athleticism, capable quarterback play, possibly really good quarterback play if Mayfield gets in there at some point. You just start to see where 
the efficiency I think is going to be there. Will the volume be there? And there's there's a few routes to that happening. There's absolutely routes for Njoku to command a high volume. If for whatever reason, Josh Gordon isn't on the field, then you could argue he's the second best receiver in that passing game after Jarvis Landry. And the best downfield weapon because the other receiver across from Jarvis Landry is going to be Rashard Higgins because no team has the courage to do the right thing, which is start Jeff Janis. Welcome to the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. Greg Williams with fake glasses and fake hair and a fake goatee, who, you know, playing the, the, the movie villain defensive coordinator role. The players don't respect Todd Haley, never have, in any stop he's had, partly because he doesn't wear clothes, so that hurts him with the players. That hurts his credibility, always being naked. So there's that. Oh, yeah, where's your lineup optimizer or whatever? And I'm like, we don't even know who's playing in week one yet. Like, we don't even know. Like, how You, how, you can't do anything until you know if, you know, Marlon Mack's going to play and McKinnon's going to play and all these guys are going to play. You don't know who's going to get cut. It, it's just like, what? what? You don't know who's going to get traded? We haven't seen Golden Tate get traded to the Patriots yet. It's going to be a pretty epic playoff game. It should be uh, Steelers-Patriots. The fact that the Jaguars spoiled it last year was annoying. Yeah, but the, I, they choked, though. They should have beat the Patriots. It's what, get, it's what you get when Doug Marone's your coach, though. Ooh, ooh, ooh. The scorned Bills fan coming out. Wow. <laughs> There's a lot of a lot of scorn, a lot of agitation as a Bills fan. Poor Doug Marone, man. Especially for a more enlightened Bills fan, not like all the sheep that like are obsessed with our current front office and coach. My um, my friend says that the problem is ownership, that, that the Sabres have the same problems the Bills do. The Sabres spent a bunch of money. They just spent it on crappy players, and then they ended up in the spot. That's why they ended up tanking and rebuilding. He allowed the Josh Allen pick to happen. He was sold on it. And I like McDermott from like the intangible aspect, but that just only matters so much, right? What's that? What's the intangible? Like, like he just seems like a good leader, like a, like a really good dude, but... If you're going to punt on fourth and short, I don't fucking care. Get the fuck out of here. All the fans love him so much. And, you know, he broke the drought, and he gets credit for that, even though it was kind of just a luck box thing. What's the drought? The playoff drought. People care about making the playoffs when there's no chance of doing anything? Uh, when you haven't made the playoffs in 17 years, yeah. Really? Like a moral victory thing? I spent way too much money to go to the playoff game in Jacksonville. Yeah, it's a, it, was a, it was a big it was a big deal. I'm not saying it should matter, but it it is a big deal here. You know, the average fan thinks Josh Allen's going to be amazing. So, <laughs> but I guess also that that game you almost beat the Jaguars, who almost beat the Patriots, who lost to the Eagles. You could do this transitive property thing all the way to the Super Bowl championship, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah that's fandom right there you would take the clippers though right the chris paul blake griffin clippers like never really challenged for a title but you know you had a pretty fun run like would you take that though no not really not really yeah i would go full process like uh, the 76ers if you're going to incentivize tanking so much you might as well do it 
Well, you do what Sashi did. You tank to get the picks so that you can get more picks. The Bills making the playoffs actually screwed everything up. <laughs> do people really want to make the playoffs where they know they aren't good enough? Like, is, shouldn't you want to finish last? Like, I don't get it. And also, like, they could have traded with the Texans, but they traded with the Chiefs. Like, and by could have, I mean, I don't, I'm not saying I know the deal was on the table, but when they traded the pick that was for Mahomes, I think after that happened, the pick got traded for Watson. In an alternate universe, we could have had two top five picks. Do you think the Cardinals would have drafted Josh Allen had he been there? I think so. I think so too. I think they liked him. I think we could have stayed put and taken Rosen. I think this all plays out fine in all these scenarios. You end up with Rosen, who's not quite Mahomes, but good. And you've got a bunch of picks, and it's a wash. To go from Mahomes to Rosen with the picks is a fair deal. Whereas now, you, you compounded the problem by then trading more second rounders to get up to get a worse quarterback than you would have gotten had you stayed put. It's devastating. Yeah. Yeah, it's a rough turn of events. And those second rounders were good, man. Josh Jackson was there. Harold Landry was in the second round. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I couldn't believe how much Landry was falling. I mean, I don't know all that much, but I know he should have been at the top of the board for a while. News reports have already surfaced that he's destroying camp. Like, obviously. Like, he destroyed college football. He checks all the boxes. Of course, he's going to destroy the NFL next. It's not... I mean, what do you do? What? Does he have some disease? Does he have, like, Legionnaire's disease or something I didn't know about? No? Okay. As bad as, like, the big things are the Bills screwed up, like, the little things piss me off, I think, like, even more. Like, getting rid of Jonathan Williams and playing Mike Tolbert and signing Chris Ivory. Yeah, it's a rough turn of events tells you all there's so many things with teams that tell you all you need to know look at their number three to number six receiver in camp tells you what you need to know look at the josh allen pick tells you what you need to know look at the trade up for the the middle linebacker tells you what you need to know like there's just so many indicators that hey tells you what you need to know stamp a rubber stamp on that front office as clueless and move on they drafted this ray ray mcleod instead of like taking a stab at like St. Brown or something when when you're like in rebuild mode and like you have no legitimate wide receiver prospect it just seems like hey maybe take a chance on a guy who's not 5'8". Trey Quinn would have been even better because he's young he can develop he can also contribute they could have had Trey Quinn over fucking prol spending seventh rounders on guys that would have been UDFAs anyway you know, and I'm because I don't know linebacker that well, so I can't break it down so well. I just know that trading up for a middle linebacker doesn't make sense ever, ever, ever. And then when you when you have conversations with you know the fans that are com completely buying into stuff, you have to like kind of pretend to make like certain concessions. Like, yeah, that was all right. When really you're like, no, that was terrible too. But like, just for the sake of civility, you can't just bulldoze every decision that you're not gonna have a productive conversation doing that like i try to find common ground i have to i try to find the nugget of something to talk about and try to focus on that man I, they, it'd be great if they could give logan thomas a chance he's exciting yeah yeah i know exactly what you mean malachi dupree oh malachi dupree oh 
Malachi Dupree. Oh. He was like an early pick in Devi. And he has explosiveness. He looks like Justin Hunter, but you guys had Justin Hunter too. There's so many wide receivers that come available throughout the offseason that you could pick up with higher ceilings. They don't take stabs at these guys. But they did that with Corey Coleman. That was good. That was cool. There, There's common ground. There's the colonel, right? Yes, you could pivot the conversation to uh, this Corey Coleman trade shows me that they're on to something. I tweeted a week before. I said, please trade for, the, for Corey Coleman. And they did. So that was fun. Speaking of fun, Mike Clay reacted to my segment criticizing the way he proclaims proprietary ownership of statistical concepts poorly, right? But if we were teaching a class and there was a handbook on how not to react when criticized on social media, I mean, it's like he's reading right out of that playbook. There are so many ways you could react. You could take the high road and just motor on above it and don't acknowledge it. That's a perfectly acceptable tactic. One most would implement, by the way. Or you could diffuse the tension with humor. That's been my approach in such situations. Who am I kidding? My approach is to come back over the top on my show. You pull out a pistol, I pull out a flamethrower. That would have been a better tactic than the tactic Mike Clay chose. He could have been contrite. He could have been humble. These are all superior reactions to how he actually reacted, which was to get agitated and tweet from an emotionally heightened state, disparaging the pod father. That's the direction he chose to go. Take to Twitter and call Matt Kelly names. He wrote, he's just a really shitty dude. I approached him in person once and he claimed he had no issue with me and blamed his listeners. Okay. His reputation is horrendous. That's news to me. Must be part of people thinking they deserve your job, I suppose. Yeah. He's not done. He's not done lashing out. Is that the guy who always talks shit about me into the mic, but when approached in person, predictably blames his listeners and says he never said anything? I'm shocked. He's just following up with some of the same sentiment, but this time calling me that guy as if he doesn't know my name. My name is Matt Kelly. My name is Fantasy Mansion. My name is the Podfather. You know it. Stop pretending you don't know who I am. That's disingenuous. But everything I'm reading here is disingenuous because it's not true. I broke down those tweets and recounted my version of my encounter with Mike Clay on the Backstage Pass show. Mike, I'm sure you know this, but you can just go to patreon.com forward slash podfather and listen to the Backstage Pass. We posted a 45-minute show fielding dynasty trade questions from listeners in the community and debunking the idea that I sidestepped Mike Clay by just blaming the listeners as if there's not an obvious response to that, which is, well, you're accountable for the things you say into the microphone. You don't have to react to any emails or tweets from listeners. <laughs> Blames the listeners. I blame the listeners for a lot of the show, but not that. Here's how the listeners came up in that conversation. Mike Clay wants to know why I'm singling him out. Why? Why are you singling me out? Why? 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 And I said, well, the listeners bring these tweets in to my attention. And they're not bringing tweets from other analysts to my attention. That's why. And if they bring objectionable tweets and articles to my attention, I will address them on the show. That's the pact I have with my listeners. That's not me blaming the listeners. That's me explaining to him that he's not being picked on just because he works at ESPN and I want his job. He's being criticized because his tweets and articles are objectionable. That's why. But that's a difficult fact to come to terms with. Most people don't want to address that. That would require self-reflection, introspection, 
Why am I a lightning rod for criticism? What can I do differently if I don't want to be a lightning rod for criticism? But that's not how Mike Clay is wired. He's not going to self-reflect. I attempted to hold up a mirror and he's not interested in gazing into it. He would rather lash out and call names on social media. The worst possible reaction to criticism. And of all the name calling and mischaracterizations that I'm enduring on social media from Mike Clay, the one sentiment that I most strongly object to that I'm offended by is the idea that I want his job. Because the majority of Mike Clay's emotional Twitter diatribe comes from a place of insecurity. But that remark, part of people thinking they deserve your job, I suppose, shrugging emoji, that's not insecurity. That's just arrogant to assume that I'm singling you out because I'm jealous. That's what he's projecting onto me. I'm jealous. And the reason I take such issue with it is because it's something I deal with every day. Most people outside fantasy football don't understand the power, the gravity of the underworld, the scope and breadth of our platform, the groundswell of support that we have on the website and around the show. It's breathtaking. And between the subscribers to the site and the patrons of this podcast, I am able to live very well and do exactly what I love to do, which is to talk sports with my friends all day long. This is my dream job, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. Most people don't get that. Most people are employees. They take a paycheck from someone who tells them what to do, and I will never do that again. Once you've tasted this life, manifested your own destiny, you'll never go back. I'm building something and I have the final say on what goes where on the website and I have final cut on this program. And the idea that I would forfeit that to go to a media outlet in an industry that is losing relevance by the day is offensive. Because up until that point, reading these nasty tweets from Mike Clay, I was feeling bad for him because he was clearly shook. I don't want to see anyone tilting on social media. It's cringeworthy. But then he wrote that remark. Part of people thinking they deserve your job, I suppose. If that's what you think, then I can't help you. Because that is a display of bold ignorance, untethered from reality, that I cannot empathize with. Sorry, Mike. What were you saying? Hey, maybe take a chance on a guy who's not 5'8". You think I wanted to cut Austin Carr? Austin Carr could be the starting slot receiver for the Saints at any point this season, be a target hog fantasy monster. That could happen as early as this year. I don't want to let Austin Carr go. I'm a Northwestern graduate. He went to Northwestern with a 45% plus dominator rating. You think I want to cut Austin Carr? But I also can't roster 10 developmental players because I want to win. There's no better actor in the history of movies than Tom Cruise. And they did, so that was fun. He was a college compiler. Yeah, yeah, well, guess what? So was Melvin Gordon. And they compile all those yards in college because they're good! That's how they compile them! Welcome to the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. Right? You're like, oh, I'd rather buy low. Yeah, I'd rather buy low, get value. Yeah, I don't want to buy as a player is ascending. I don't want to buy high. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. As a Browns fan, 
So you get to see how you can hope for the best while expecting the worst. Like this is a new experience for me now that I'm learning how to be a Browns fan. And it, it's given me a whole new appreciation for how you know, Jaguars fans feel and Bills fans feel and so many fan bases feel. Welcome. This is the outtakes. So here's how the math works, Mike. When the number one receiver goes out, the number two receiver becomes the number one receiver. This is the outtakes. So I'm just not afraid of that. I'm afraid of nothing. I'm a fucking podfather. I can say whatever the fuck I want. Yeah, it's a rough turn of events. He was not actually shock. Yeah, I think he was. But he actually wasn't. I'm anti-Charles Clay. And by the end of his career, Keelan Cole's resume will dwarf Dede Westbrook's and Dante Moncrief's. You want a guest host? You got a guest host. I got myself a guest host. A hell of a guest host. And there's a chance he gets straight into the fucking Patriots! Oh my god! This is the outtakes. Sell low on Dante Moncrief. This is the outtakes. The thought of Deshaun Jackson in a Patriots uniform makes the blood rush to my penis, and it instantly becomes erect. I've shriveled. Whatever defensive players, I don't care about defensive players. Like, you can't just pretend he's not there. I like to pretend he's not there, and just hit a button, and bye, never have to see him again. This is the outtakes. I can't believe we're at a place where we're worried about Jerron Brown. I love it! Yes, Jerron! Worry me! You know Zay Jones well. Why, why we gotta go there? We can beat up on Brian Hoyer. No! No, it's actually Tom! I hate that you feel the need to further torture me and force me to acknowledge not only the greatness of Tom Brady, but the fact that I, I'm not going to be rid of him probably anytime soon. So I had some heart palpitations, which were scary a couple weeks ago. And I went to the doctor and, you know, sometimes you get like a, a counterintuitive diagnosis. And the doctor said, I know what your problem is. You're not sleeping enough. And sure enough, I started sleeping more, you know, scheduling my sleep better. And I feel great. I feel so much better. And then a study comes out a week later that sleep deprivation ages the heart. And it's all soup. And then it all became super intuitive. The heart is the hardest working muscle in your body by leaps and bounds. If anything needs sleep, needs rest, it's the heart. So give your heart its eight hours and it'll treat you well into your 80s. But if you deprive it of sleep year after year after year after year, don't be surprised when it just gives up earlier than you're expecting. But for those of us in the fantasy game, I have to tell my heart, listen, buddy, I need a little bit of overtime in August. It's just the game, man. It's the business. You're absolutely right. And I, it reminds me of something Jonathan Bales wrote about like short term optimizing your day versus optimizing your life and how they can be in conflict because when you optimize your day and you think about being productive you want to get as much done as possible you want to get as much work done as possible and you know what gets cut some of the healthy things you know working out scheduling a full eight hours of sleep and you do have to strike this balance between 
being optimal in the short term and being optimal in the long term because they can go against another. And you talk about heart stuff. I started wearing uh, a Garmin like and it's got the heart rate monitor on it. And what really scared me when I drank, my heart rate at night is like 15 to 20 beats per minute higher. It's like consistently if I'm drinking, it's wild. And it makes you think. It's why no amount of alcohol is good for you. Even that one glass of wine per week, that's a fallacy. It makes sense. Alcohol's a poison. My name is Matt Kelly. My name is Fantasy Mansion. My name is the Podfather.